You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kivalevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. These are the halachos of Simchas Yontav. Um, we know by Shmini Atzeres, it says, Atzeres Tiyelachem, that it's for you. And the seventh day of Pesach, also using Atzeres, it says, Atzeres Lashem Elikechem. Seemingly, that it's the enjoyment that you have from serving God. So, Chazal say, really, it's Machlokas Rebbelez and Rabbi Yeshua, but Rabbi Yeshua's opinion is that Yontif has both aspects. It has devotion to God and simcha with God, and also things that are clearly meant for your body and for you, for your enjoyment. Chetziv Lashem, Chetziv So, because of that, even though there's a lot of chazonish pieces, as we'll talk about, yontif davening should not really last more than chatzos. So you can have chetzi Um Now, what would be if the shul actually, you know, these days people, well, I don't know, I think chazonis has come, has, make, has, make, has made a comeback. But there was a time people... Uh, I would say in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, uh, people were people really didn't like Chazonim anymore. Uh, Chazonim had reached its, you know, uh, during the period of of the, the end of the ninth or early 20th century. Before drop rock and roll. Yeah, well, right, you're right. It didn't have the rock and roll type of thing, <laughs> and then also, you know, in the beginning of the 20th century, there was a lot of recordings of Chazonisha music, and in many ways, that was what people really, really appreciated as a form of entertainment. But let's say, but even the Poskim spoke about Chazonah with beautiful voices and beautiful uh, structures of their of their piyutim. So, is that called, um, is that called a simcha for Hashem? Is that called a simcha for Lachem? So, the Poskim are pretty negative about it. They said, look, um, even though you might enjoy listening to it, it really isn't penetrating to the point that it's your avoda. It's more like you're sitting back and appreciating the voice. And it definitely is not uh, really lachem. So therefore, the post can speak against that. And they say that the chazonim should not push these Sivsulim and and Chazonah Maybe they can put it on a record. You can listen to it before Yontif. But during the davening itself, the davening should end at a decent enough time that people can get home and eat properly. Um, the post can also ask about the dancing that happens on Simchas Teira, which Lachora seems to take away from. You know, we want to go home, we want to eat. And of course, a lot of people during the dance against Simchas Torah eat and drink and sort of like do both at the same time. It's interesting that some of the, the Svarim say that the dance is part, now we're holding a Krabiliezer, the Chetzi of Lashem. That's part of, that's what we're doing. It's, it's, and even though we're enjoying the dancing, that's part of the Avodah Hashem, which again, you are allowed to. To, to just put a lot of energy into that. So you shouldn't necessarily say, oh, you know, what's this dancing on? And there's another question. How are, how are you allowed to dance on Yom Tif? 
The Mishnah and Beitzah says that it's one of the things that's also to do on Shabbos and Yontif. And from there, the, the post can say, of course, because in the time of the Mishnah, there was no Simchas Torah. There was no dancing around the Torah on Yontif. That's, that came much later. But the post can say that this, Rav Sadigon says, this is an example of the way a Minag can be even stronger than a Halacha. The Marshal, Shomaluria, writing hundreds of years later, said that this is, since it's all the Kovet Torah, so it's not just Stam dancing that the Mishnah is talking about. Now, obviously, you have to have not only Simchan Yontif, you have a Kovet that you need to have towards Yontif. Even though the, the Torah doesn't write about Kovet Yontif, but we learn out that Shabbos and Yontif have similar halochos by both. So the same way you need to wash yourself and get your body ready for Shabbos and do things with Kovet Shabbos, that it should, you should also do things with Kovet Yontif. So therefore, one of the things that you need to do is... Just you take a hot bath on Erev Yontif, the same way of Erev Shabbos. And of course, even perhaps even better clothing, but at least, you know, Shabbos type clothing. Um, and all the other halachas, even though they're mostly Shabbos halachas, we connect them to Yontif. Even the halacha of Lechem Mishnah. And actually, Taisus and other Rishonim say that Erev Yontif in, uh, in the Midbar, the Mon did come down with a double portion on an Arab Yontif as well. Um, another halacha, of course, a very important halacha, is Arab Yontif, not to fill yourself up, which we know, uh, we learned that from the first missionary of Ipsochim and other places as well, that not to eat uh, a sudas keva um, a half hour before Minchak Also, getting involved in a, a malacha that could that extend yourself, you can't do that in Erev Yontif either, the type of activity that will take you away from being ready for uh, for your tefillot and for getting ready for Yontif. In one aspect, though, Yontif and Shabbos are different, and you know what I'm going to say. In terms of eating three meals, there is no chiv at all to eat three meals on Yontif. However, the postcom do say that you should have something a little bit extra. It shouldn't just be two meals. Uh, one thing you could do is add an extra dish. Um, it's interesting that there are some menhagim that would have three meals on Yontip as well. And they said, look, um, we see on these other ways it's similar to Shabbos, covid Oneg, Rechitza, even though the Psukim say Hayom, this is where we learn out that you have to have three meals on on Shabbos, it's Pasuk says Hayom three times in Parshas Beshalach about, and from there we learn out that you have to have three meals, but in many ways there's a Hekish between Shabbos and Yontif. So there are some, again, you might not have heard of them, but there are some that have the custom to eat three meals on uh, Yomtev, and even, this is something which is, I think the Ber Halacha brings this down, which I think is quite incredible, even have a Mulava Malka on Motzi Yomtev. So, that's as close as Shabbos and Yomtev is. One of the things that, another way Shabbos and Yomtev are similar, is based on what the Gemara says in Beitza, in the beginning of the uh, 
second parik that the monies that you spend for covered Shabbos and covered Yontif, you don't, you will get paid back for. So in other words, even though we have a, we believe that Rosh Hashanah time determines the amount of money you're going to make, how much you're going to make this year, there's special exceptions for spending for Shabbos and Yontif. Normally, like I said, be careful about expenses that you make if they're not about Shabbos and Yontif or about Chinuch for your children, which is another point. But normal expenses, you have to be worried that maybe you've you've exhausted everything that has been uh, allowed for you. But Shabbos and Yontif and Limadat Shabonim ain't lem kitzvah. Now, if you're going to spend, if you're going to be cheap about it, God will give you a little bit of extra money, but not a lot. If you spend a lot and make a, a very nice meal, Sanyantiv, God will give you even more. Now, what about spending for Chalamoid? No, doesn't count. Spending for Rishkodesh doesn't count. What's considered Shabbos and Yantiv expenses, though? How about paying for um, the people? The people who have shop again in Eretz Yisrael, you have to understand um, they have Shabbos generators, okay? Or even if they don't have Shabbos generators, they keep extra lights on for Shabbos and Yontif to to be mesameach. So, the post can say, that doesn't have to be about what you put into your mouth. Anything that you pay for extra counts. Um, however, you have to know what's considered uh, your Shabbos uh, is, 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 is yeah. you have to draw the line and know what is considered a real Shabbos and Yontif expense. Whatever it is, and it's really L'shem Shabbos and Yontif, to Mechabit Shabbos, we have to believe that God will somehow open up a Shef of Parnosa in some other place. So that, those are the halachas that we have learned uh, in Hilchas Yontif. I want to add something. Um, now that we've done Hilchas Yomtev, let us... Uh, move to another area of halacha for tonight, which is in the laws of marriage, of having a proper marriage and doing it correctly according to halacha. We know that when um, a chosen marries a kala, when a husband marries a wife, he holds the tabas and he announces that the Adam can hear, Now, after he should be saying that, either right before he puts the finger, the ring on the finger, or as he's placing it. Now, let's say he, he gets the ring on her finger 
so quickly, and he still hasn't said Arayah Mekudeshasi. Is that a problem? The truth is, the best way to do it is, again, is that he should make the announcement and then put it on, or as it's going on her finger, he, he says it, but it didn't get on her finger completely yet. If it's on her finger already, and then you say it, is there a problem? So, what now... The question, of course, is does he need to say anything? We know they're getting married. Why does it make a difference, you'll ask me, when he says it? Does he really need to say something? Everyone knows it's a chuppah. Everyone sees it's happening. They're ate him here. So the truth is, the Ramah holds, you don't need to say anything, really. We we have the minute for the chasen to say it. But even if the Chosen says nothing. And they tell us afterwards that they meant Kedushin. The Kedushin is fine. However, if you look in Shulchan Aruch, you'll see, Rabelsky points out, that the Chelkos Machokeg says that if they don't say something while it's happening or before it's happening, you just assume that that's what they meant. It's not considered Kedushin. So therefore, Ravelsky says that if he is putting the ring on her finger, he's already said Arayat Mekudesh, he doesn't finish the words Kedas Moshe Yisrael until it's completely on her finger. Even the Chalkas Machokek would say, well, he was saying it while it was going on. It's not called Dvarim Shebelev. So, there, it's not a problem. Even if, let's say, the Chosen leaves out the words, Kedos Moshe Yisrael, also not a problem. He doesn't have to do the Kedushin again. Um... The Gemara doesn't say you need to say it, um, even though we all do. It's brought in Shulchan Aruch, but it's not in the Gemara, and it's not, um, it's the Rishonim mentioned, the Tosfos mentioned, but it's not, it's not Ma'akev to say Kedas Moshe Yisrael. Let's say, he says, when he puts the ring on her finger, he's holding the ring on her finger, and he's got his hand sort of around her finger, and he said, That shouldn't be a problem either. Because even though it's on her finger, but he's got his hand pressed down on her finger or putting it on her finger, so it's still in his hand. So it's even though it's on her finger, but he's but they are bonding together. He, he's still connected here. So therefore, his Debor would be fine. It would be considered a Debor before the Kedushin. 
the only case where a Masadar Kedushan should maybe ask for the Kedushan to be done again is if he puts it on her, it's clearly on her finger, and then he says, Hareyat Mekudeshesli. So in such a case, what you should do is ask the Chosen to do it a second time. But again, this could happen under the Chuppah. Many times the Chassanim are nervous and, and, and they are doing it wrong or, or, or they rush into it. Basically, that's going to be, again, as long as it's happening while something is going on, if he puts the ring on her finger and then announces it, you should probably, even according to the Ramah, it's okay, you should probably have the Chassan redo it and, and, and say the Amira before. Is there a Hidra Rebelski says to write in the Ksuva the family name of the Chassan, the Chassan's last name? Is there any Indian of doing that? We know we, we, we write his name and his father's name. But is there a reason to write the family name? So Ravelsky says the Minig is not to do so. We have something called a, a Tanoyim. The Tanoyim, which in many, uh, in Chesidish communities even today, and it used to be very standard in Europe, was a very important document because that made sure that uh, things were going to happen and there was actually financial um, consequences if the marriage didn't go through. So over there, the minig was to write a, like a real star and also write the last names of the families. Now, um, Rav Belsky, when he did some research on it, said that there was a period in the Middle Ages where, in some sections where Jews lived, they actually did write the family's name in the Ksuva. But normally, you don't see it happen. Now, Rav Moshe Feinstein actually writes that it is worth writing the family name in the Ksuva. And I have to tell you that in one of the weddings that I was involved in as a Masada Kedushan, there was a discussion. Well, I'll tell you what happened. One of my students married a Gioiris. And she was a Gioiris and a wonderful woman who was Makabal the Torah admits this properly, Kedos Meshav Yisrael. And she was converted by the Besden of America that I am associated with, although I really don't play any role in the Geiris part. In this specific situation, I, I had a little bit of a role there. They asked me to come since I was the one who pushed this woman uh, to become a uh, Giyoyris. All right. Anyway, the point was, is that she had, um, she was still close to her parents. And um, the couple 
after they uh, after she be, after she converted, the couple went for a trip to her parents' house. They weren't yet married uh, for Christmas, and a certain group that was trying to undermine the RCA's Gayrus wrote a whole article about this and printed it up in, in, in their newspaper and the Ated and some of the other papers. And they mentioned the name of this girl, this Gairis. And they wanted to indicate that the Besden did not do their due diligence. Because how could it be that she is a Gairis and now they're going visiting the, her parents for Christmas? Anyway, I knew that there, this marriage would be under the, the microscope of the Kanoyim because they wanted to attack the RCA's Geras. They wanted to say that this Geras said the Geras Tzedek was not a true convert. And they would have found anything that would have happened at the wedding to be a proof that how uh, the RCA's Rabbanim don't know what they're doing, and look what they're allowing, and she probably isn't Jewish anyway, and look what happened at the wedding. There was a discussion. Uh, okay, so I made sure, let me say, there was a person, a family friend, who I knew was part of that group. His name was a signature on this group of Kanoyim. And he happened to be a family friend of, and was going to be at the wedding. So I knew that if I was the Masada Kedushan, that that wedding and everything going on there had to be perfect. And since I was involved in the writing of the Ksuva, and the Ksuva was written by one of their family friends, it was done by a professional calligrapher who uh, was very involved in making it as beautiful as possible, and she wanted to put in uh, this calligrapher all these different uh, new age type of uh, liberal things, and I I stood my ground. I said, look, um, I know you want to show your love for them, but this ksuva has got to be perfect. So I made sure that the ksuva was exactly the way with all the humrus of Ramesha Feinstein. Because I didn't want anyone, I also made sure that there was a machitza by the dancing and that there was no question about it being kados vikadim. I was really on a very, very, uh, it was a, a very pressurized uh, situation. And I I called up many Talmidim of Ramesha Feinstein to find out to, how to write the ksuv in the best possible way. And one of the Hidurim of Moshe Feinstein is, as we're seeing now from Ravelsky, is to write the last name of on, in the Ksuva. So I made sure to do that. I had not seen what Ravelsky wrote here. Ravelsky says that in all of Ramesh's Ksuvas, of his daughters and family and grandchildren, they did not write the name of the family. And therefore, because you still, even though Ramesha felt halachically it made sense to do it, in his own situation, he did not do that. 
And Rebelsky says, that's what we should do. Speaking about Diksuva for a couple of minutes, um, is there any uh, hidur for the Eide Kedushin to be the Eide Ksuva? In some communities, that's what they do. Now, a lot of times, you need a, to give out kibudim at a wedding. So you have to split the Eide Ksuva and the Eide Kedushin and the Eide Yichud. But let's say... The best possible way is—is it—is it? Is it are you, should should have one adus all the way through? Rabelsky says there are rabbanim who feel it's it should be done, but he doesn't believe it has any basis. Because we know, originally, the kedushin occurred a year before the chuppah, and there was no connection between who were the adam of the kedushin and whose names are on the ksuva. Now, what would be the reason why some Rabbanim wanted the Eide Kedushin to be, the Eide Ksuva to be the Eide Kedushin? So, if you read it, if you look in Ksuva, it says, the people signing the Ksuva write, what do they write? They write that we heard the man say, I want to marry you, and etc. Amar lovahada kalahavilu into. So, how can they sign the ksuva if they haven't really seen, they haven't seen the Kedushan yet? Rabelsky says, that logic doesn't hold water. Because if you look in the ksuva, it also says, and I will cherish you, and I will take care of you, and I will work for you. Did anybody hear the chassan say that? Nobody heard the chassan say. He doesn't say that. Why does the ksuba say, we heard this man say that? On a eflach, the man, he never says that. However, we know that's what he means. The ksuba is written in a, as if he said it. If you look at the Nusaf al it says, on this day and this day and this place, this man said to this woman, be married to me, and I will do this and this and this and this. He never says any of that. It's written as if he said it. The star is has the power to collect and demand from the chassan to honor and, and, and help and support, even though he never said that. Because the star is giving the powers if he had said it, and he's machai of himself. That's the whole idea of Iksuva, the way it's written in the Nusach. So you don't need to have the Edim who, who, who heard them say, Harayat Mekudeshesli, sign the Iksuva. Now, however, what about Edei Yichud? We know Yichud, as we've talked about this week, is for many Shitos when the marriage really is consummated. Or it might be the chuppah because he he rents the, the yichud room, or he stays there long enough to consummate. So there should be those should be the same Aiden. 
because the Adam of the Kedushan is the marriage, and now the marriage is extending. So it should be the same Adam, if possible. And therefore, you should, and, and most from yeshivish weddings, if the Masader Kedushan has a little bit of strength, he will tell the Chosen that the Eide Kedushan should be the Eide Yichud. Sometimes, however, because of pressure or because of other reasons, it doesn't work out that way. Sometimes the Eide Kedushan don't think it's it's beneath them to be Eide Yichud because they have to dance out and go out with the Chosen and Kala and sort of stand outside the room the amount of time that it would take for them to consummate, and they feel, hey, what am I doing out here? It's not kovadik for me to be standing here or sitting here. If that's the type of person you have, then probably you should get separate edeichud. What about signing the ksuva? Does the does the and, and, and I have seen ksuvas where on the bottom of the ksuva, the chosen signs his name, and um. I did that at one of uh, at that wedding as well, because I found out from some Talmudim of Ramesha that Ramesha felt that that was a proper thing, that it's a star, and that the and that here you see the husband uh, signing it. Rav Belsky, however, felt that it's a chiddush to say the chosen has to sign the ksuva. It's a new thing; you don't need to sign at the bottom. Now it's true. When it comes to the Tanoim, there, where it, it makes sense for the Chosen to sign. Because, especially if it says in the Tanoim that the Chosen agrees to come to the Chuppah, the Chosen agrees to be there, the Kawa agrees to be there. That makes sense. But, but, but the signing the Ksuva Rebelski didn't believe it was important. We did that. Uh, in, in a number of of of, of, of Cedric Kedushin, and I think it's starting to become more popular that the Chosen signs it as well. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.